0: Well, good morning and welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is uh, Tim. I serve as one of the pastors here. Before we uh, jump into our text sermon for this morning, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, you are, you are holy and worthy. No one is, is like you. No one compares. You are the Holy One of Israel who's given us your own Son, Jesus, to, to make all things new. So no one's like you. So may now as we open uh, your word, may our hearts and ears and minds uh, respond to your word that that is true, that we would listen well. Uh, So Father, may my words honor the worthy and holy name of uh, you and your son Jesus, and I pray all these things in his name, amen. We are born looking for someone looking for us. I've used that quote before, but I'm bringing it back because it, to me, is a, a good starting point for this new series in the Gospel of Luke. We're calling Seeking Jesus. And if I, I had to say all the best moments of my life, if I, if I stack them up, what certainly would be uh, at the top of the list is the birth of uh, my four kids. And when Isaiah was born, we were living in Libertyville at the time, and he was born in Highland Park. And the day that he was, uh, uh, Misty eventually went into labor, we went to, the, uh, to our doctor in the morning because Misty was really sick. And when we got there, it turned out she had vertigo. So the doctor says as we're leaving, man, it's a good thing you're not going into labor today. <laughs> don't, don't ever make jokes like that. Because a few hours later, she was, she was in labor, and, and for several hours up until labor, she couldn't eat, uh, she couldn't drink. So for, I mean, really, for about 24 hours, she could not eat or drink uh, as she prepared to give birth to Isaiah. Um, I, was, I did just fine in that time, just wanted you to know that. <laughs> I ate well. I'm going to be careful, I'm going to move on. Uh, so Isaiah is born, and, all, and when any of our kids were born, you know, they all come out the same way, which is they're, they're angry and they're screaming. Like, life was just really good, why did you take me from there? Until they find their mother, and then it's, we're okay. That we're born looking for someone, looking for us. And you live long enough, or if you live long enough, you'll start asking that question about, about someone else. That we don't stop there with a parent, a father, a mother, we hope, is looking for us. We go beyond that. A vision or a hope that I think is represented well in one of Fleet Fox's songs when they sing, Why in the night sky are the lights hung? Why is the earth moving around the sun? Floating in the vacuum with no purpose, not a one. Why is life made only to, for, for to end? Why do I do all this waiting then? That song may sound like there's no faith behind those words, but I would say even asking those questions is looking for someone looking for you, a God. And if you live long enough and experience the brokenness of this world, we start looking for someone to hold us in this terrible place. It was so good, and now we're so angry and alone. We're looking for someone looking for us. Now, I say that knowing we live in the only culture in human history that doesn't do that. Secular Western humanist culture mocks the idea of a god, but you just need to know if you, if you scale human history, we're the only humans that have had that perspective Most of humans have looked up at the stars and assumed, someone is up there, and he, they, are looking for me. And so we're starting a new series this morning, we're calling uh, Seeking Jesus, Uh, and for different seasons over the next few years, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and my hope for you is that you will spend significant parts of your life seeking Jesus. Significant time, significant resources, significant energy, seeking out just who Jesus was. And maybe you hear that and you're uh, sitting there as someone who's not a Christian and you're like, why? Why Jesus and not the Buddha? Uh, Why Jesus and not Muhammad? Why Jesus? And I hope to maybe give some answers to that question this morning. Or maybe you're a Christian and you've you've lived a little bit of life and you're at a point where you might might resonate with fleet foxes and and the certainty you had in your faith is not as strong as it once was and you wonder, what's God doing in my life right now? I've already sought Him and it feels like it's not working out. Why should I give new energy to seeking Him? And I hope to help you along the way a little bit this morning. Or you may be sitting there as a Christian and you're like, I'm there, man. I've sought him. I've found him. Life is good. And, and I say amen to that, but I also ask a bit of a question, which is, How much of the Jesus you have sought looks more like you and less like the Jesus on the pages of the Gospels? Might a fresh read through the Gospel of Luke be, be in hand to make sure, just to check, that my own vision of who Jesus is is who he said he is, And not who I want him to be. Uh, So, why why seek Jesus? That's the question we're answering. And and Luke begins his gospel with some good answers to that question. And so, I want to work through three this morning. And I want to start with uh, we should seek Jesus because what the people who knew him said about him. Uh, So my my boys just ended their first season of Little League. And and one of the reasons why we did Little League was we had uh, some friends we really like and respect tell us, we had a great coach. You want to have this coach. It's going to be awesome if you have this coach. So because the people we know said really good things about this coach, we listened. Signed our son up. He had that coach and had an incredible experience. We listen to people who give eyewitness accounts when we trust them. And and Luke starts there with where he got what he's about to write. Uh, So again, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, I'll pause there, Luke's saying... Eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus have delivered this material to us. And because he wrote the book to Luke. Luke is saying, everything you're about to read is eyewitness testimony. It's it's people who knew Jesus talking about Jesus. That's what you're about to read. And that, that's important for me to name because that goes against certain assumptions our culture has today about the Gospels, that the Gospels are really like, you know, fifth. Sixth, 19th hand from the eyewitnesses. Uh, the, the, think of the, the game of telephone. The game of telephone is someone uh, speaks a message first and whispers it into someone's ear. And then af- after 20 people, the message gets totally corrupted. Right, so for example, if we were to play that game and I was to, to whisper in, uh, in someone's ear and, and whisper something we all know to be true, which is um, everyone knows Indiana University is the most beautiful place on earth. That's right, Mickey. (laughs) If that got whispered through about 20 people in this room, eventually what would be spoken as the message first received was, everyone knows West Lafayette is the most beautiful place. (laughs) And falseness would be spread throughout this room. So, (laughs) the... That's how a lot of people think happened with the gospel. So there's, a, there's a, a professor, a scholar, his name is Bart Ehrman, who's a teacher at uh, University of North Carolina. Found out uh, this week he was a fellow classmate of Kevin Earhart. And so, uh, so Bart Ehrman, his basic thing is he's, he's taking a different uh, track than, uh, than our friend Kevin. But uh, uh, his track is, no, the gospels came fourth, fifth, 19th hand from the eyewitnesses. So what you're reading in Luke is not eyewitness. Uh, testimony. Whether someone told someone, who told someone else, who told someone else, who told someone else. And then we have this, these stories of Jesus far after the fact. And I I say this not as someone who who believes what Luke is saying is true, but just actually that doesn't hold up academically very well. This is a a really incredible book uh, called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses by um, a guy named Richard Bauckham, and, and he spends about 500 pages just detailing how we can be confident that what we're reading in, in Luke's gospel is from eyewitness accounts. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll share a bunch of what Bauckham writes throughout this series, but I'll start just by naming two things that he names. The first is that the gospels were written too early to be made up, and so even the most liberal uh, theologians would say the gospel of Mark was written within 30-40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. So 30-40 years. Luke's gospel was probably written not long after that as well, pretty universally accepted. And Bauckham's point, it's just hard to make stuff up 30-40 to years after the fact because there's too many people alive. So to illustrate this point in this room, if I was to come to you this morning and say, hey listen, if you're a Chicago Bear fan, It's time. It's just give up. It's not going well. It's not going to go well. It's never gone well. You've never won a Super Bowl, and you will never win a Super Bowl. There are people in this room who can say, "No, no, no! no, I was there in 1985." Which some of you, this just calm down, okay? I know it happens. (laughs) Right? It's okay. It had 35 years ago. You were there. Some of you are like, I still have the Super Bowl Shuffle VHS. I can dance it for you right now. (laughs) I say, we had that VHS growing up uh, in my house as, as well. You just can't make up stuff from 35 years ago. There's too many people alive who can say, I was there. That didn't happen. And a story about someone who rose from the dead and did a bunch of miracles, you couldn't just make that up. 30 years later. That's Bacham's point. That's why we can be confident this is eyewitness testimony. So that's one reason. The gospels were written too early to be made up. But the second, and and I would say even more important than that, is is the early church revered the eyewitnesses. So when uh, Ehrman sets up this construction where, well, no, it's someone told someone else who told someone else who told someone else. That's not what happened in the early church. Actually, what we can be confident of is that eyewitnesses uh, would travel around and preach from their eyewitness testimony to the church throughout um, the known world at the time because the church revered eyewitness testimony. And one way we know that is through a, an early Christian named Poppius, who wrote uh, kind of a second or third generation history of the church around 100 A.D., and Poppius, in his introduction, he says he, had a, a, he heard from two eyewitnesses, or he heard secondhand from two eyewitnesses, who lived in his area. He lived in Asia. And so uh, the two eyewitnesses, he names them. It was John the Elder, and it was uh, Aristion. He names two guys. And he says these were well-known leaders within the early church because they lived among Jesus during his earthly ministry. And Bachman points out that eyewitnesses had a ministry where they they talked about their time and experience with Jesus 60, 70 years after Jesus had died and and, uh, been raised to new life. So there were eyewitness testimonies long into the second, third generation of the early church. So the idea of of what Ehrman's putting forward that just second, third, 19th, and no, the eyewitnesses are in Asia 70 years after Jesus' crucifixion. You could hear first-hand accounts uh, long after Jesus' death. And of course, Luke is saying, that's why I wrote this gospel. So you could continue to hear their first-hand accounts. Which is even probably why Luke wrote, is a lot of the eyewitnesses were beginning to die off, and Luke wanted to capture their witness before they were gone. Um, so, why seek Jesus? Because of what the people who knew him said about him. And what they said about him was that he honored uh, women in a culture that did not. He honored the poor and marginalized in a culture that did not. He healed diseases in powerful ways. He eventually was raised to new life from the dead, and we saw it, they said. And maybe you're sitting there like, I don't know if I can believe. That's okay, that's a lot, right? But what you have, to, you have to reckon with the fact, people are saying, we saw it. A lot of people are saying, we saw it. And that's one reason why I think Jesus is unique, why you should seek him and not other religious figures. No one talks about Muhammad this way. No one talks about the Buddha this way. What the people who knew Jesus said about him are outlandish things. And they're saying it's all true. And so we need to seek and listen to what they said. So that's first. Why seek Jesus? Well, listen to what the people who knew him said about him. And we just had a little league coach that was like, he was fun with the kids. We're like, yes. Well, g- here you have people saying he rose people from the dead. Like you should listen to people who say that about another person. So that that's first. So why why seek Jesus? Well, second, we seek Jesus or should seek Jesus because he best explains the story we are living. And what explains the beauty of fall? I'm Just moving back to Indiana, the, the color change here is, is far more pronounced than where we were living in, in Kansas. And I just found myself driving down the road like, I, I, I can't believe what I'm looking at right now. So why, do, why does that happen? Well, I looked it up. Here's the scientific reason for why this happened. As nightly increases in the autumn... Chlorophyll production slows down and then stops, and eventually the chlorophyll is destroyed. That process reveals, and here's where I can't pretend I'm a scientist because I don't know how to say this word, Uh, the process reveals the carotenoids present in the leaves, and that shows their true colors. All that's true and pretty amazing, but it didn't have to be that way. They could have just stayed green and then fallen, and then we got to rake them up that way. Instead, this tapestry of colors that, I mean, just wow. Why? Or uh, this week, uh, we have an election, and I've heard there are some people that are very opinionated about what happens on Tuesday. And yet, what I would say, in best interpretation of everyone, like, right, what everyone wants is a just society where we tell the truth and care for the poor. And flourish in a strong economy. We all want that, right? Why? Why not just, I just want to get mine and I don't care what happens to you. Why do we want a just and good society? And my answer to that is, is all of that comes from a God who thought it would be fun to make leaves beautiful before he made you rake them up. Or maybe he doesn't want us to, I don't know. Uh, There's a God who wants just good, flourishing societies. And when Luke talks about Jesus, he doesn't just say, "Uh, Jesus did some interesting things, here they are. He says, he's compiled a narrative of the things that have been accomplished, or the word there is fulfilled, a narrative of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Luke is saying Jesus fulfills a story. And it's a story that you're living in now. It's a story of beauty and justice. It's a story of love and kindness and mercy. And so Luke is saying he's given a a story, not just random facts about Jesus. And that's important uh, because a lot of when, if you read read a lot of religious material, it's very boring because it's basically like, here's how you're supposed to live. Maybe some stories in there, but live this way. But Luke's story won't work that way. So we're about to go into the, uh, the Christmas season. We're going to tell the birth story of Jesus in a uh, loose gospel. And I love the way Tim Keller describes this. It's like, it's really hard to preach the Christmas story and tell people how to live. Because what happens is shepherds are waiting in a field and then the angels show up and just say, the Messiah is going to be, be born. Go to Bethlehem. It's like, what's the moral of that story? Are we supposed to go to Bethlehem? Are we supposed to go wait in a field till an angel comes and tells us something? Are we supposed to believe shepherds whatever they tell us? Like what's the? How do you live? And the point is, it's it's not about how to live. It's Jesus is being born as the son of David in Bethlehem, and that's fulfilling a story. And you need to know that story, because it will tell you why the leaves turn colors in leaves. It will tell you why you want a just and rich and good society. It will fulfill the longings of your heart. It accomplishes something. This is a narrative. And so what, what story does Jesus fulfill? Well, it's the story, the quote I started with this morning. The story you, are all, you and all, I are all ultimately living in is a story where we are all looking for someone looking for us. And it started at our birth, but you get far past your birth, it start, you start looking for someone else. And Luke is saying, yes, someone is looking for you. And I'm going to tell you the story about that. And that leads me into point three. Why seek Jesus? Well, not just because of what the people who knew him said about him, not just because he tells you why the fall is beautiful. He tells you about the story you're living in. But third, we seek Jesus because he is seeking us. Uh, So Luke ends this little uh, introduction to his gospel by saying he's writing to Theophilus, that Theophilus would have a certainty concerning the things Theophilus has been taught. And so Luke writes that Theophilus would have certainty. And so the question that's always been asked is, well, who's Theophilus? And one answer to that is Theophilus, he's a real person that probably uh, funded Luke's work to write this gospel. Right, so it would have been expensive for Luke to travel around the world, to interview eyewitnesses, to compile this narrative, to take a break from his own vocation. He was probably a doctor. He probably took a break from that work so he could write this gospel out. And oftentimes when someone did that for you, you would, uh, uh, you would thank them in your introduction. You'd, g- you'd give them an honor for having funded what you wrote. And so Theophilus may be a real person. Luke knew, but now uh, Theophilus apparently... Was beginning to question whether or not the narrative surrounding Jesus was true. He'd heard it, he'd been taught it. And now he had some questions. And so Luke says, I'm I'm gonna write this down so you can have certainty. The word certainty just meaning firmness, reliability. This story I'm telling it's a firm story. It's true, it happens. So that's one option. Theophilus is a real person, Luke wrote to. The other option is that Theophilus is you the reader of Luke's gospel. Theophilus just means friend of God. And so Luke begins his introduction by saying, you, friend of God, I want you to know that what you're about to read is true. You can be certain of it. It's firm. It's reliable. So give your life to reading this this gospel, giving your life to Jesus being his disciple. And I land probably more on Theophilus as a real person, but whether Theophilus is a real person or not, that invitation to you and me is, is still very much in Luke's heart. He wants us to have certainty that Jesus is who he said he is. So who is Jesus, according to Luke? And a lot of commentators, theologians would say, if, if you want a thesis statement to the Gospel of Luke... It's Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so who is Jesus? Jesus is the one you are looking for, who's looking for you. He has come to seek and save the lost. And so this series is my invitation. Our invitation as a church to you to say you need The most important thing you'll do with your life is the hours you spend seeking Jesus. Give time, resources, energy, passion to discovering who this person is. But we say that because we believe the reason we seek Jesus is because he is the one seeking us. He's looking for us. But the reality is if you live long enough, that can become harder and harder to believe. It's why Fleet Foxes uh, their drummer, who once was a Christian, some of them had some attachment to faith at one point, began to sing. Instead of announcing who it was that hung the stars in the skies, they begin to pose the question, why are stars in the sky? Why is the earth going around the sun? Why is my life only made to end? Why am I just waiting here? Live long enough and you can begin to wonder, is anyone looking for me? And I don't just say that because of the Fleet Foxes. I say that in my own story. Uh, the last few years in my life have been an assault on the certainty of the truth of Jesus. I talked about some of that last week in, in 2017 when we got Isaiah's diagnosis. That, that started. But I have to say in the last couple of years as I've watched pastoral failure after pastoral failure, well-known people turn out to be total, total frauds who were pastors of large churches. And then in my own life, pastors and Christian leaders I, I knew who turned out to be frauds. Um, and I want to be clear, Christi- we Christians, we sin. There's a difference between catching Christians in sin, which will always happen, and c- catching Christians in abusive, harmful behavior, running over other people and not caring. And that's what I witnessed. It's hard to have certainty of Jesus when you watch people who claim his name do those things. And so when I read Luke's intro, hey, friend of God, you need some firmness, some reliability that Jesus is who he said he is. I'm like, yes, I need that. And so I'm taking up Luke's invitation to read his words, to read the story of Jesus, and to find certainty and firmness about the person of who Jesus is. Because I promise you this, you read his Gospels, you'll find firmness about Jesus. He's the most compelling, beautiful person who's ever lived. He will fulfill the deepest longings of your heart. Spend more time in these words. You will find yourself drawn to who Jesus is. I haven't spent the last few years going to podcasts, watching cable news, reading other books. I've I've spent the last few years in the Gospels. Jesus, I need you. And so if you're going to do that, if you're going to seek Jesus, i got to tell you two things on the way in. Two things you got to be willing to do that most all of us find hard to do. If you're going to seek Jesus, you have to be willing to do two things. The first thing you have to be willing to do, you have to be willing to meet him on his terms. In 1820, former President Thomas Jefferson got out a Bible, a pair of scissors, and cut out all the parts of the Gospels he did not like. All the miracles, all the teachings, the events of his life he just didn't like. The resurrection of Jesus, cut out. And so he published it as The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And here's how he introduced that book. There will be found remaining the most sublime and benevolent code of morals which has ever been offered to man. That's pretty nice. But he says more and he shouldn't have. I have performed this operation for my own use by cutting verse by verse out of the printed book and arranging the matter which is evidently his and which is easily distinguishable as diamonds in a dunghill. The result is an octavo of 46 pages of pure and unsophisticated doctrines. So uh, what he does is he looks at the Bible and he says, you know, parts of the Bible are just diamonds, incredible, parts of Jesus' life, and other parts are dung. Now, so that I don't get fired, I'll pause so you can enter whatever word you want to replace dung with so it hits a little closer to home. Got it? That's a bold strategy. To say, I read the Gospels, uh, parts remind me of a toilet and parts remind me of diamonds. And yet I have to say, I appreciate his honesty, that he's not actually interested in the person of Jesus. He's interested in his own vision of Jesus. Some of us, were maybe less honest on that. We like parts of his life, and other parts we just don't talk about very much. So, Do you want to meet Jesus as he is, or do you only want a Jesus who will rubber stamp what you already wanted in the first place? That If you're a Christian, you've been following Jesus for a long time, how much of your life has changed because you've had an authentic experience with Jesus? The way you speak has, has just utterly changed. The way you think about your wealth, your money, has utterly changed. The way you think about your politics, because you now worship King Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, has utterly changed. The way you think about your sexuality, the way you use your body in this world, totally changed. Are you willing to meet Jesus on his terms? Because he has opinions, and he's, he loves you, but he's not going to change his opinions based on yours. So that's first. You've got to be willing to meet Jesus on his terms. That's hard for some of us. We just, we, we pull out verses we like, we highlight them, and then the ones that confront us, we just, they subtly fall from memory. And so that's a part of this series is maybe let's bring those things back to our attention. What are the verses we wish weren't in there? But the second thing you have to be willing to do uh, if you're going to seek Jesus, you have to be willing to climb a tree. Luke 19, the thesis statement that I said summarizes the Luke's gospel, that Jesus, the Son of Man, or Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That comes from a story of Jesus encountering a man, a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, Thanks for indulging me with that. Uh, Zacchaeus, he so wanted to see Jesus, he climbed in a tree. Now, we know the story, and we don't think anything of it, but that, uh, that was an utterly humiliating act for someone to do. Zacchaeus was probably the most, most wealthy man in Jericho. He's rich. He's respected. Even though people don't like him, he's powerful. He's a, he's a dignified man dressed in fine clothing. And so, well, obviously not wanting to compare anyone to Zacchaeus, I started to wonder who in our congregation is just a dignified, like, per, and I, the person I thought of uh, is our elder Steve Whitaker, who's just sitting right down here. So, so just a wise, refined man. Imagine you're walking into to Dorsey, and you look up, and there's, there's Steve in the tree. You're going to wonder what's wrong with Steve. And while Zacchaeus may have been short, and I'm not going to say anything else, Steve. You're good. Uh, Just see him just tense it up like, do I need to leave? And no, you don't. You're good. Uh, Zacchaeus is in a tree, and maybe because he's short and he couldn't see Jesus. None of that's the point. The point is, what is that guy doing in the tree? And the answer is, anything he can to get to Jesus, to humble himself. And that the question for us is are are we willing to do that? That Jesus finds a lot of people in the gospels, it's it's beautiful. But he never finds the arrogant, he never finds the prideful, he never finds the self satisfied religious people looking down in condescension on other people who are not as moral or as good as them. He never finds them. He always finds the people in the tree. The people who are tired of running their lives their own way. Who have only ruined what has been given to them. Who find themselves alone. Sinners cast out from society. And so he looks up in the tree, Jesus, when he gets into Jericho, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And not surprisingly, the religious people are angry at this. Because why would Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house, and a part of Jesus' answer to those people was, this is why I came. I came to seek and save the lost. So, this morning, if you're lost, I have good news for you. Jesus is looking for you. And he's going to find you. Sooner or later, you may not feel that this morning, but someday, when you're in a tree, he's going to find you. However, if you're not lost this morning, if you've been looking down on other people, especially ahead of a week where it feels like there's going to be a lot of condescension to people who disagree with us. Looking down on people, prideful, arrogant, you're the, you're the answer to the world's problems. Jesus probably isn't going to find you. You got to get in the tree. You have to humble yourself. And that, in a nutshell, is the whole gospel of Luke. The worn out, the tired, the forgotten, frantically looking, hoping that there is someone looking for them. That someone has hung the stars in the night sky, that someone has sent the earth sending around the sun, that our lives are not only made to end, but we have a creator. And not just a creator, but a creator that is looking for us. And so again and again, what we find in the Gospel of Luke is the same message, the same message that Luke hopes Theophilus will hear with certainty. There is someone looking for you. There is someone seeking you, and his name is Jesus. So get in your tree. Let's pray. Uh, Father, those are not just words Jesus spoke in Luke 19, that he came to seek and save the lost. So that for those of us who are, are well acquainted with our lostness, may those words just wash over in grace to us. He, he's he's going to find us. He's found us. <laughs> what good news. And for those who uh, we're not quite lost enough yet, would you give us the courage to release whatever it is we're holding on to, to get in the tree and to look for Jesus with all we have, knowing uh, the one who changes the leaves and fall, the one who will one day order a just and right society Um, The one who's coming again to make all things new, He is looking for us. He's come for us. He loves us. Make that true, so we could release our self salvation projects and fall into Your arms of grace. I pray all this in in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, Well, one of the ways we do get in a tree is uh, is communion, right? We're all acknowledging we broke His body, we 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 shed His blood. It had to be given for us to taste salvation. And so we come to his table, invited as, his, as Jesus' brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of, of the Father. Um, so if you're a Christian, this meal is for you. Uh, we want to invite you to come. We'll have four stations up front, one in the balcony. Uh, come in groups of five to seven. Uh, take the bread and dip it into the juice and eat it together at the instruction of those who are serving you. If you're not yet a Christian, this meal is not yet for you. But as we said, we believe Jesus is taking you. And so just in these few minutes of of just slowness, right? You don't have to, don't get out your phone. Don't um, actually just ask God, hey, okay, Jesus said he's looking for me. Just show me this week or show me right now. Uh, we believe God will do that. Um, and so as you're ready, uh, we invite you to Jesus' uh, table if you are a Christian, if your faith is in him. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.